So Money episode 1088, Ask Farnoosh with special co-host Georgia Lee Hussey of Modernist Financial. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. You're listening to So Money, everybody. It's August 28th, 2020. Not a rerun today. I know I've been playing reruns on Monday and Wednesday, and we'll continue next Monday and next Wednesday. It's just that time of year. You know, you need a break. I need a break. We have over a thousand episodes. Today, we've got back with me, I'm going to introduce her in a moment, my friend, Georgia Lee Hussey. She is my co-pilot, often on these Friday episodes, answering your money questions, founder of Modernist Financial, all the way from Portland. She'll be here in a moment, but a couple of housekeeping items. So today is the last day to apply for the So Money Equity Learning Scholarship. This is a program, a small mini $2,500 scholarship, but hopefully will go a very long way for a family that I've designed in response to the systemic catastrophe, which is the uh, country's educational system, especially now in the COVID era. Um, so many parents are being just uh, forgotten gotten about. Families are being, we're failing families. You know, kids, there's already an education gap in this country, and largely led by your socioeconomic position, your race. And now with COVID, it is exacerbating that gap because uh, the kids who really need to go to school for all sorts of reasons, not just education, but food and security are not going to be able to get that this fall if they are going digital. This program, you know, this $2,500 scholarship is just mainly to help a family that needs tutoring support, educational support, supplemental learning as, you know, the Zoom is not the end all for learning, especially when you're seven and you have a learning challenge. So I've created an application. We've got many people who've applied so far, but we have also people donating to this cause. And so we may be able to help more than one family. How to apply? Go to Instagram and check out my post, uh, the So Money Equity Learning Scholarship to learn more. You can go into my bio on Instagram. The link is right there. It's a Google Doc, so I'm not going to bother telling you the long link right here, but it's in my Instagram bio. And if you email me, Farnoosh at So Money Podcast, I will send you that link so that you can apply or you can apply on behalf of a family member or friend. And this could become you know, a recurring thing. We've got already having discussions behind the scenes with not-for-profits and you know, rich people who want to uh, support this. So maybe we will, um, hopefully we will be doing more of this uh, as the year goes on, but hopefully we'll just go back to normal, right? That's the goal, right? Is to get everybody back to school safely. Next up, let's go to iTunes and pick our reviewer of the week. Apologies, I forgot to pick one uh, person last week. It just didn't happen. So I'm going to pick two winners this week to catch up. Uh, we have a, a, a reviewer who on August 20th uh, left a million stars. 
she said. Um, like they only have five, but she said a million. So she's a Latina entrepreneur living in Miami with her husband and two teens. She says, we listen to most of your podcasts. She loves how empathetic the show is. And I am understanding each moment that we are going through as a society. She loves Black Wealth Matters series. Oh my gosh. I, I want to pronounce your alias here. Sun Nun, Sunun, T-S-U-N-U-N. Thank you so much. Your words are very powerful and have really um, moved me. So I would love to connect with you and talk about how I can help with your money questions. Email me, Farnoosh at So Money Podcast, and we will um, get a time on the calendar together. Also on the same day, August 20th was like apparently a very catalyzing day for reviews, or maybe it's just when iTunes decided to release them. But Josh Christ on August 20th, entertaining, insightful, and actionable. He wrote, whether you're well-established as someone who can translate creative energy into financial success or just getting started on your money journey, this is a must-listen podcast for you. Farnoosh does an incredible job leading conversations that cover a huge breadth of topics. Josh Christ, thank you. I would love to connect. Same deal. Email me, Farnoosh at SoMoneyPodcast.com, or you know, you can always direct message me on Instagram. Let me know you left the review and I will uh, get in touch with a link so that we can connect and make time for each other. Thank you so much. And as always, the reviews, keep them coming. Uh, it helps me to stay informed about what you like, what you don't like, and an opportunity for us to connect. And it is for me a, an incredible education. Okay, moving on. You've been, you know, at the edge of your seats waiting for me to introduce her back on the show. We have Georgia Lee Hussey, my friend, all the way from the Pacific Northwest coming at you with some answers. She's always got the best answers. In fact, you know, one of her answers inspired an article on Bloomberg, which you'll be reading about soon. But Georgia Lee Hussey, welcome back to So Money. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to get to talk through folks' questions and see how we can get back to values as well as really good financial questions or answers. And that's what I so appreciate about your approach to personal finance is that you really take into consideration the person and you are really good at reading between the lines and what is this person not asking really in their question that is really the at the at the crux of it all and so what i was telling people earlier is that you helped me basically inform my next bloomberg opinion piece you were on the show i believe in may we helped a listener who was struggling with whether or not to ask for a raise and at the time it was a I mean, it still is a really sticky situation, right? Especially if your company's doing okay, but the world around you is falling apart and your industry could be hurting. Is it appropriate? Is it going to come across as like not reading the room? Like, how do you approach asking for a raise? And so I tackled that in my next column and I, uh, I excerpted some of our discussion on that episode uh, reappearing in the Bloomberg piece. So your advice is, is traveling far and wide. Georgia. <laughs> Glad to hear it. It's one of the um, joys of my work is that I get to work with individuals and families, but it's really fun to be able to say, to be able to speak to broader concerns in, in a larger uh, situation. So I'm excited. And I also just want to um, acknowledge what a important um, element of financial planning and our sense of ourselves is, is valuing our human capital, the wisdom, the creativity, the hard work, 
the effort. That is such that is the the crux, the engine of our financial lives. And um, I love it when folks want to ask for what they're worth. Yes, it's all about the way you frame it. And I think in any good negotiation, knowing not just what you need, but what your employer needs and coming at mm-hmm. it like that. So check out the article, but also listen back to that episode back in May. It was an Ask Farnoosh. I think it was, well, it was on a Friday. So hope that narrows it down. Georgia, you got back from vacation recently. Where did you go? I want to go on a vacation. I just don't know what to oh, do with myself. It's true. Well, I took a little... Um, cabin by myself up in the mountains above Portland, no cell service, no Wi-Fi, me and a bunch of fantasy novels and art supplies. Um, it was really, really lovely. Uh, and I just really need, I needed a break. There was too much input, not enough um, centering. And normally I go to a, a Zen monastery near my house every three or four months for a meditation retreat. And I was there, I was just, it's of course closed. And so I've been really craving quiet and stillness and um, solitude. So it was real, it was very enriching and I am ready for about three more of them next week. (laughs) Yeah. Take me with you, please. It's so good to have you back. I have rounded up some really, I think, thoughtful questions for us. These these all mm-hmm. came in through the pipeline in the last week or so. And so glad that we can address these um, in real time, more or less. The first question is from our friend Maureen, who writes in and she actually went to the So Money Podcast website and clicked on Ask Farnoosh and, and typed up this pretty long email and I've abridged it. But here's the gist. She says, hey, Farnoosh, I'm celebrating my 51st birthday this month. Congrats, Maureen. And I have set a goal to double my net worth in the next eight years. So she wants to ring in her 60th with a pile of cash. I like it. And she says, I need your help. So a little bit of background on Maureen. She's in the process of divorcing her partner. She was married for 21 years. Always felt that he used money to control me. We are debt-free and we have a shared net worth of approximately $4.5 million split between our primary home, most of it is their primary home, some cash, and retirement accounts. She had hoped to retire at 55 from her full-time corporate management life because of the stress, but since half of her assets are going to go to her partner in this divorce... She's finding herself looking to reinvent future goals. She says she feels lost with all the possible options. The home value is very high, she says, and neither one of us could likely afford to buy the other person out. Uh, Most of their retirement accounts are in her name, and her husband, her ex-husband, has been self-employed. His income is significantly lower than hers. You know, here she is. She's got about 900000 or so in retirement. The question is, what are some good investments that could help me be on track to double my net worth in eight to 10 years? She says, I'm a hard worker. I like to invest in real estate. I'd like to learn more about the stock market potentially. You know, She just doesn't want to keep going on this corporate America hamster wheel for the rest of her life. So that's the question. And that was actually, she had many more questions, but that I thought was a, a good one, a good enough one for one episode. Um, maybe we'll do more Maureen over the next couple of episodes. But um, I, I don't know, Georgia, I guess my first question, and I don't know the answer to this, is just why does she want to double her net worth? Do you think that's arbitrary? I mean, 
Would it be worth just like actually getting close with the numbers for a minute? I do think she'll Mm -hmm. need more than $900,000 in retirement. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. What's the first step here? Yeah, I think you've absolutely centered in on the most important question is why double your net worth and whose goal is that? Because that sounds like the kind of externalized number or rule that has that Maureen has has held on to as being essential to her uh, retirement goals. But I don't know if that has anything to do with her retirement goals. Depending on how much she spends, that may not be necessary. And so uh, I think the first thing is to check in on what she actually needs to do given her net uh, proceeds from the divorce, what needs to happen in order to get her to where she wants to go. Because if she changes her lifestyle costs or lives downsizes her home, or there's a variety of things that she could do that could get her to that goal. Um, so I would say, as I often do, a fee-only certified financial planner can help you analyze then the various properties that she owns, the cash that she has, the retirement accounts and say, okay, in order to get to here in at 60 or 58, here's what you need to do in order to uh, meet that need. Um, so I think that's, that's the essential part is to, to move from a position of thinking about her financial plan as her and her, um, X, but rather, what does Maureen need? Because yeah. I think that is a radical thing for many people to do, especially women. Um, but also, I think it can get a much better answer that's maybe not as overwhelming. Um, so that would be my my first recommendation. Yeah, she said in her words, I always felt my partner used money to control me. Mm. Well, no longer... Mm-hmm. And I honestly, I would be looking at that four and a half. I would looking at that home that she says that her their net worth, their combined net worth is four and a half million. Seventy five percent of that is the house. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you sell the house mm-hmm. <laughs> and you take your half, and mm-hmm. you are close to doubling at this point mm-hmm. your net worth. Mm-hmm. Um, you 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 catapult, you catalyze that goal. Um, and mm-hmm. you you may realize after you do that that you're good. You yeah. know, if you keep working and saving at the pace you are, like you'll be fine. Yeah. And I think the questions about how to invest to meet that goal are are very essential because this is about the age in our early fifties. Um, it depends on the person, but usually in early forties to fifties, folks realize that retirement's going to be real and we need a plan. How am I going to get there? Um, And that is where the investment strategy can become essential because it's not just how are you going to get there over the next eight years. It's how how is that money going to last and be there and outpace inflation and take advantage of the markets until you're 75 or 95. And I I think that's a very important element. And this is how how to make sure that what you do have is properly allocated to meet your needs for the rest of your life, not just to get you to that retirement date. What's a good rule of thumb for knowing how much you will need annually in retirement? I know there's the 4% rule, but then that's before you even get to that. Like, What is the lump sum in your portfolio? I mean, look at these calculators. They're all over the map online. None of yep. them are the same. One, one calculator is telling me I'm going to have to replace my entire income in retirement. 
Like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, no, because I'm not <laughs> going to have a mortgage. I'm hopefully I'm not going to have two kids depending mm-hmm. on me. So mm-hmm. I'd like to think I'm going to spend a little bit less in retirement or not need to make as much money in retirement. So what is your rule of thumb? Yeah, it's a good question. The the 4% rule is is not a great one to utilize for a variety of of uh, mathematical reasons. I use 5% as a as a placeholder number. When you get much above that, it's it can be hard to keep up with inflation because if you're spending if you think you're going to get 7% return over the course of your life and you're spending 7% out of the portfolio, you're just eating up that return and there's no place for inflation. So inflation starts really um, uh, consuming the corpus or the, the, the amount you have invested. So, but, you know, basics, I have a million dollars of assets. I can comfortably pull off $50,000 of invest of living expenses. And the way our calculations work is that's your net income that you take out and doesn't include taxes. So we are assuming that you've built up your assets in a way that's in a tax efficient manner. And that means you've got a bucket of money that's taxable and in the market and growing. You've got a bucket of money that's tax deferred, like your 401k or 403b. And then you've got a bucket of money that's tax exempt in a Roth IRA, for example. And then you probably own some real estate. I think the other important element is that in your total net worth, about one third, two thirds. So one third should be your use assets, like a house, car, art collection, you know, whatever your stuff is. And the other two thirds should be liquid growth assets that are actually actively supporting your lifestyle. Um, and that can help people place the personal prop, personal home versus their uh, real estate uh, investments, for example. That's a really great breakdown. That's more specific than I was <laughs> thinking you were going to tell me, but that, you know, 50 is pretty late to be having this question, but also better late than never. And I think because to be honest, at 40, it's still so strapped. Yeah. I will say for Nusha on this last trip that I, COVID and this last little vacation I took was the, I've had theories on, okay, how am I going to sell my company and sell it to my employees and yada, yada. I've always had these ideas. And then I really got clear on, I want to retire at some point. I would like to work part-time, you know, starting to really live physically into what that future self wants and can want. And I think it is, it is, it's a phased realization, but the sooner you can get a a fee-only CFP on your side, who can do just some hourly check-ins a couple times a year just to make sure you're on track, you will be so much more efficient than trying to do it on your own. Because I see people doing stuff that they don't even realize the assumptions that they're making about how to meet their goals that often are, are very inefficient. And it could be a lot easier if they paid for some, just a little bit of extra help. Okay. That was a lot of help for our friend, Maureen. Thank you for your question, Maureen. I know you had a couple other questions, but I, I think through this, we answered probably many, many of your question marks. Next is Muns Jess on Instagram. She says, my question is, how do you negotiate for a raise with a, people love, they just, they must know you're on the show because <laughs> we always get a raise question when you're on the show. But she said, specifically, working for a public institution for a government job, how do you negotiate a raise? It says, every review and time I get asked to do more, I bring up the topic of getting compensated for my extra duties. However, they say their hands are always tied. Is my only option to change jobs at this point if I want to make more money? 
I mean, this is the thing with government jobs. It is a very regimented schedule of earning. Like you can only make, I have many friends who've worked for government jobs and only for a period of time because at some point you want to make more. And it seems like if the the benefits are great from what I hear, Mm -hmm. Um, but the trade-off is the salary not so great compared to private sector. I don't know if there is a workaround. Do you? Yeah, I have some ideas on this. I think first would be be the benefit of a public institution is that you can look at the salary schedules for your job and other jobs throughout the institution you're working for. So a lot of folks will, will like the organization or the government or the school or whatever it is they're working for and be able to say, okay, if I move to the development office, if I were move to this, if I get this extra degree, if I do this, then my, they can clearly see here's the payoff for that time and money um, that they're investing into their human capital. So I would say that's your, would be my first project would be looking at, is there anything else I would want to do in this organization that would be meaningful, but also get me more money. The second is I would use your social capital to uh, work with your mentors network and just get some down low from folks on what they've done to move up in the world. Um, And because we know about pay inequities, I would ask some white men about this uh, because they are more likely to have been able to negotiate a higher salary or have some insight on what they what they've done to move their career forward or if you see any women who've moved forward i just there's often um that might be where you get the answer you just can't do it within the organization or you might get that you know what i did or what i heard my friend did or here's what my you know this person i know how they moved forward i i think that's there's often more um intangible resources available to us. And then I would finally say, I strongly believe in the value of hiring a career coach uh, because they can often open your eyes to skills that you have and potential career paths that you wouldn't have thought about. Uh, And I've had often recommended that for our clients when they're in a transition period or they want to make more money. uh, It's really well money well spent and they can often help you with negotiating skills as well. Yeah, I just had a walk, a power walk, masked power walk with my friend Alice Task, who's a career coach. She is busier than ever for mm-hmm. good reason. I think I think people are turning a corner. Like in March, April, nobody was really investing in their careers. It was like just holding on for dear life. Now, for various reasons, people are looking to make a move, um, mm-hmm. whether it's within their companies or beyond. And if you, so if you're listening and you're like, yes, yes, yes. Alisontask.com. She's been on the show a number of times. She's got a great book out too called Personal Revolution. She's a dear friend and fellow Montclair resident here with me. So part of the reason why I actually moved out here because she's just good people. Montclair is mm, full of great. good people. Um, all right. That was excellent advice for our friend Munz Jess. Shannon has a question about um, pension contributions as part of retirement savings. So she wants to know what our advice is for accounting for pension contributions as part of retirement savings. She works for a state government and will be vested in two years in this pension. Approximately 10% of her pre-tax pay is deducted for the pension, and she doesn't know what the payout will be 25 years from now. 
She maxes out her Roth IRA, contributes another 10% of her pre-tax take-home for that. She just wants to know, like, in the grand scheme of retirement calculations, this kind of goes back to our first first listener, how do you account for a pension? I kind of feel like unless you're going to die at your desk at this job, like, it's probably not going to be a huge amount in the grand scheme of it. Oh, I love a pension. You love a pension. Oh, my God. I stand corrected. (laughs) <laughs> when I see somebody come in with a pension, I'm always a shocked that they still exist because they, uh, a lot of congressional work was done to <laughs> unwind the uh, access to pensions and basically the employer's responsibility to make sure that we have money in retirement. But they are glorious things because they are guaranteed income for the rest of your life. And there is nothing a financial plan likes more than including a pension and social security into a plan. It just gives a lot more room. Predictability. Predictability, exactly. And so um, pensions operate much like a so- your social security, which is easily one of those valuable things that we have access to in America in terms of um, solidifying our financial plans in retirement. And like Social Security, often the longer you wait to take the income, the higher the payout is. So what you can do is go onto your government pension website. There's almost always a website. I can't imagine that that's even legal to not have one. Um, And you can go on there and request illustrations. For And that illustrations is basically an income illustration if you were to take your pension at age 62, 66, 70. And depending on your current age, I would recommend that you peg your requests to whatever your full retirement age is for Social Security. So it's based on your age. For me, it's 67 years old. I have some clients at 65, et cetera. And it basically will tell you how much you're going to get per month in retirement if you start taking it at 62, 67, or 70. And almost always, there is a a much higher payout at 70 than there is at 62. Now, some people have this uh, mistaken belief that you should get it, take it while you can get it kind of thinking. Um, and that's a pretty short-term understanding of how cash flow works in retirement. And again, this can be why it's really great to work with a fee-only CFP is that they can figure it out for you and show you the benefit. But um, it, I've seen people where they're six, age 62, the income doubles if they wait till 70. So you double that income and that's guaranteed for the rest of your life. And that is huge. It's like, it's like a beautiful flowering <laughs> extravaganza for financial I, I've done this. It's so much fun, everybody, because what <laughs> other website will tell you what money, like that you're going to get money. You know what uh-huh. I mean? Like, it's kind of a fun thing. Like when you're having a bad day, just go on the social security administration website and find out how much, <laughs> find out how much guaranteed money you're going to make. But when you're having a bad day at work, it'll remind you why you should continue working. <laughs> Farnoosh, this is why we like each other so much. Is that <laughs> this is what fun looks like? Can you. it be? Can you actually put fun and social security administration on in one sentence? Yes, you can. I, you can for yes, this specific indeed. project of going and figuring out your payout in your retirement. Yeah, I I've done it. I'm gonna do it again. We're off this Great. call. And one more point I want to make about pensions is that if you were to try and go out and buy guaranteed income, you'd have to do something called buying an annuity from a private insurance company. And just to talk about the difference in an internal cost, Social Security, last time I got the numbers, which have been a few years now, the internal cost on Social Security was 0.28%, similar to like a Vanguard fund, very cost reasonable. 
to buy an annuity is usually about 4%. So we're talking a hugely more expensive way of getting guaranteed income. So um, definitely vest into that awesome pension. And then at that point, you can decide, do I want to keep pay, you know, paying into this and stay at this job? Or do I want to move on to something where I can build a different kind of, of, um, of ass- set of assets for retirement to supplement the garden? I mean, it kind of goes back again to what we were talking about earlier. These government jobs, they may not have the most attractive salaries, but man, you get a pension. You get a pension. I have clients who get 12 to 16% retirement contributions, and that's pre-tax. So that's a huge, huge increase in income. And I mean, I dream of being able to do that for my employees. That's like the like most glamorous thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Okay, last but not least, a question from our friend Brian, who has a Roth IRA. He's got a good amount of cash in the account, and he's hesitant to invest it in the, you know, so he's got the Roth, he put money in it, but he hasn't actually done the next step, which is to put the money in an investment vehicle within the Roth, whether that's like an index fund or, you know, ETF. He says that the market just seems really high right now. Do you think it's a good idea to hold off? for a little while and see how things, you know, pan out, maybe buy low. Look, timing the market, people still want to do it. What do you say? Why do they still want to do it? (laughs) Um, There is zero evidence, Brian, to to support you being able to time the market. Once you buy in and 10 years to 15 years have passed, it does not matter if you bought at the top of the market or the bottom of the market, especially if you were buying into a well-diversified, globally allocated mix of stocks and bonds. The other thing I want to point to is that there is a feeling when I listen to NPR, the radio, that says the market is high. Well, if you actually look at the market year to date, it's flat from the beginning of the year. But And if you look at international assets, they are down still significantly since the beginning of the year. So the feeling that we know better is not to be trusted, right? Uh, it, as Warren Buffett, I can summarize his saying, uh, when everybody else is greedy, be scared. And everybody, when everybody else is scared, be greedy. So this is a great example is that if you feel scared to get into the market, that's exactly the same time you should just be getting into the market, hold your nose, close the, your online access and go do something more interesting. Um, I, I strongly recommend you just put that money in there, put it on automatic buy and, and do something else with your time. <laughs> I came across another great quote today. It was from, oh gosh, another, another, another huge investor, grandfather of investing. He said, don't look for the needle, buy the haystack. Right. John Vogel. 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 I never thought I'd be like writing down quotes from old white men, but here I am. (laughs) Listen, so great to have you on the show. Always fun. I mean, you made social security fun in 30 minutes of a show. That's- It's super sexy. That's a superpower. (laughs) Georgia Lee Hussey, thank you so much. Please take me on your next retreat. Uh, In the meantime, uh, don't be a stranger. We'll have you back on the show soon enough. Thanks again. Yes. Thank you so much, Farnoosh. And everyone listening, hope you have a great weekend. I hope it's so money. 